0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer Arcea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane.
1: And I'm Kevin Greenlee.
0: And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery To Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more.
1: Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your
0: time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases, exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry.
1: If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at to me podcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it.
0: Spoiler alert, we're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious.
1: Anya, what did we watch?
0: Today we watched "In the Line of Fire," a 1993 thriller starring Clint Eastwood and John Malkovich. Am I saying that right?
1: <laughs> I think you're saying. I'm that so right.
0: uncultured. Um, what are the bullet points? Well, I mean, the central mystery is: Can Clint Eastwood, a uh, very elderly Secret Service agent, <laughs> um, solve the? Yeah, Id- no, Let
1: me. <laughs> Right there, I'm. I'm not sure if oh, they, if God. I agree with the words "very elderly."
0: <laughs> Taking the stand still for the, reasons still, that for the reasons that will become clear as we continue to talk about. Still this.
1: in the prime of his life in many respects.
0: Clint Eastwood is an over the hill Secret Service <laughs> agent who um, must find out the identity of a seemingly crazed assassin played by John Malkovich uh, before he kills the president. And that is the central mystery in this show. Anything to add to that?
1: I think that about covers it. How does the movie open?
0: Ah, uh, well, it, it opens with, uh, well, I mean, first it kind of just tells us we're in Washington, right? It kind of gives us the works. We visit the monuments. We smell the cherry blossoms. We watch Segway riding tourists crash into one another on the National Mall. That didn't happen the, in the film, but that's my one of my favorite DC memories. <laughs> Great day. And um, basically, uh, it starts with, uh, we, we first see Clint Eastwood, who's playing a uh, Secret Service agent named Frank.
1: At this point, we don't even know he's a Secret Service agent. Oh, like yeah,
0: that. I guess we don't. Spoiler. Um, and some guy's picking him up, and he's freaking out because he's late.
1: The guy picking him up is freaking out. He's a much younger man.
0: And Clint Eastwood's giving it to him. He's not happy. He's like, if you work with me, you show up on time. So it's a, it's a tense start.
1: And they drive to uh, a dock where there's a boat kind of on a a wharf, and we meet some pretty shady characters. And the first thing they do is they split up uh, Clint Eastwood and the younger man. Uh, Dylan McDermott, I believe, is the the thespian's name.
0: Yes, and uh, these are clearly, pretty quickly, clearly bad guys who seem to be uh, running some sort of, as Clint Eastwood calls it, a funny money operation. Uh, doing counterfeit bills, seemingly. They take
1: uh, Dylan McDermott onto the boat, and then uh, one of the head men...
0: He has something to say.
1: He says to Clint Eastwood, he says to him, he says, we've kept an eye on this younger fella who gave you this ride. Turns out he's a Secret Service agent.
0: And of course, Clint Eastwood has to be all like, oh, geez, I didn't know that. That sucks. Uh, And then things get even more tense, when the bad guys you know the, the main bad guy who doesn't seem to suspect Clint too much at this point he trusts him they've clearly built up a, a relationship over the course of this investigation brings him into the boat and what does he see there Kevin
1: he sees Dylan McDermott bound and gagged and the older gentleman says to Clint Eastwood y- you need to kill this guy
0: Ah, awkward workplace situations. And then and But isn't the,
1: that what happened on your first day at BI? I
0: mean, yeah, it sucks. But um <laughs> 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 This is what this is how they initiate everybody. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great place to work. Definitely apply there if you're interested in great journalism. But anyways, um
1: But this is how you screen people at the flat hat.
0: This is when, <laughs> when I was a college newspaper editor. Yeah, isn't this what they do to all new lawyers, Kevin, in law school? <laughs> this is right. what the first years have to go through. Uh, basically, I, I have a I have a side theory, and and we're talking about, we're going to talk about workplace issues. I think that in some ways, this film, which is a very very good thriller, great film, really enjoyed it. Spoiler alert: I loved it. Um, I think it's kind of about how bad it is to work in the American workplace. It's a bad place to be, and I'll go into that later. But let me just say, you know, why don't you go into it now? No, 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 You've, no, no, you've st- opened up a can stop of worms. You've opened up a can of stop it. I have. I am so. I am. There's going to be payoff. I'm sowing the seeds now, and I will reap later. So let's move on.
1: Anya Appleseed.
0: Yes, exactly. Anya Appleseed. That's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he says he has to... So so anyway, Clint Eastwood is faced with a choice. He has to kill his younger partner, you know, in the Secret Service, or blow his cover. So what, what happens, Kevin?
1: They give him a gun, and Clint Eastwood goes up, to, and he puts the gun to the head of his partner... And he pulls the trigger,
0: and the guy dies. No, but that's not the really. end of the picture. <laughs> 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 the rest of the film is designed, devoted to an inquiry into whether he did the right thing. No, um, the it doesn't go off, and then they start suffocating Dylan McDermott. And uh, it
1: doesn't go off deliberately because they gave him an empty gun. Yeah, they were like they, they were, were like, just testing. They were just like we him.
0: wanted to make sure you were on the level, but clearly you're fine. But now that they're suffocating the guy. Clint Eastwood has to act, so he pulls, you know, his gun and says, you're all under arrest, I'm a Secret Service agent. And, you know, get, get into a quick gun battle, and anyways, they get out of there, he and his partner are safe, they bounce. Um, his partner
1: is pretty badly shaken up by this, understandably as, as, so. As
0: anyone would be, I, I mean, I think being suffocated to death by a plastic bag is a pretty terrible work experience, as work experiences go. And, so Clint Eastwood... And he also reveals early on that he has a small... Uh, a young family, so that already should <laughs> worry everybody. <laughs> Anybody who's talking about their young family, like, if you work in a, like Like, that's just a... Don't do it, because that, that's never going to bode well. So then they just go and unwind by Clint Eastwood playing the piano, and they go to a bar, and they're just smoking and chilling out, and...
1: And Clint Eastwood says, go home, hug your wife and kids, or your kid, rather... Uh, there's this little thing uh, we're supposed to do together. I'll do it by myself. They got a report that there's a suspicious character living in kind of a sleazy little apartment. And so Clint Eastwood goes to investigate that by himself.
0: Yes. And basically uh, Clint Eastwood arrives to find the landlady very shaken up by her former tenant's apartment, which has been organized into like a basically like a murder board of different presidential assassinations.
1: Yeah, it's like this guy's it's like he's a teenager. This is a very hip reference. It's like a teenager who's cut out a lot of articles from Tiger Beat about Menudo and he's pasted them all over his wall because the wall is covered with clippings from uh, newspaper and magazine articles about presidential assassinations and presidential assassins.
0: So it's kind of creepy. Voila, voila. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be my new catchphrase. Um, it's it's pretty ominous. So not only uh, is this scene ominous because they're finding this creepy uh, collage, but we actually see that John Malkovich is watching Clint Eastwood investigate his apartment. Very spooky. So things are already getting tense.
1: And Clint was realizing, well, maybe this is something I should bring in the other fellas. So he leaves and he comes back uh, maybe the next day with his partner, Dylan McDermott. And when they go in at this point, Miss Kane, the apartment is almost completely empty. Everything's been taken out except for a picture from the Kennedy assassination. And this picture has a figure circled, and that figure is Clint Eastwood, a young
0: we, Clint Eastwood, a Dirty Harry era Clint Eastwood,
1: who we now learn was an active duty Secret Service man who was present in Dallas on the day JFK was killed.
0: I guess it's not really Dirty Harry because that was the seventies, but whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a man with no name, Eric Clint Eastwood, and yeah, this is this is kind of a central. This introduces a central sort of. Uh, ribbon running through this film, which is that uh, Clint Eastwood is one of the um, oldest Secret Service agents still on duty, and he was actually the only one to have lost a president because he was on the JFK detail and was indeed there in Dallas in 1963.
1: So the single most identifying feature of his career is failure.
0: Yes. And... It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great storytelling choice because he has to, he's in some ways looking for redemption from that catastrophic failure. And you find out over time that he had a, you know, kind of a close relationship with JFK and, you know, has, has continued to put his work in ever since. But that sort of colossal failure. Um, had, it, it
1: wrecked his life. We yeah. find out that he uh, started drinking too much and his marriage broke up.
0: Yeah. So it really had a huge emotional impact on him. Um, as it did, I'm sure the entire Secret Service. And when you think about it, in, in many ways this movie sort of feels like a film about the Secret Service in general and like how it's how it sort of changed, you know, by nineteen ninety three when the movie came out in, in regards to that kind of that thirty year span since the JFK assassination, how it evolved, basically.
1: How do you think the Secret Service uh, comes off uh, in this movie?
0: Well, I read somewhere that I believe the Secret Service actually worked pretty closely with the filmmakers. And all in all, they come off definitely like the good guys. You know, they're the the good guy branch in this one. The FBI don't come off that well. The CIA don't come off that well. But Secret Service is like, we're just here to get the counterfeit bills and protect the president. Everyone can relate. So um, it's definitely not doing a, you know hit job on them or anything
1: yeah the secret service isn't like overthrowing uh, the government of bolivia the secret service isn't invading your civil rights like the fbi does Mm -hmm. they're just ordinary they're not
0: doing waco they're not doing dirty war stuff they're not assassinating people that's going to be important later with the cia but yeah it's it's spoiler warning it's it's much more of with this whole podcast is a spoiler warning (laughs) but but basically um Yeah, they come across, you know, well, oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, first, first, let's say this creepy John Malkovich guy, shortly after this intro, actually calls up Clint Eastwood to make an introduction.
1: Very polite, civilized thing to do.
0: Absolutely. He, uh, they even talk about what John Malkovich's favorite presidential assassination, assassin was, and he says Booth because he had panache. So, um, getting the sense that this guy's, you know, pretty creepy, pretty ominous. And
1: Makovich uh, openly admits at this point his intention is to kill the president.
0: Yeah, he's no no bones about it. He's he's gone in for the president, and um, it's uh, and he seems so to know me- a lot. He seems to know a lot about Clint Eastwood since Clint Eastwood has been so, you know, so, you know, on the Secret Service for so long.
1: Do you think this was part of uh, Malkovich's game all along to try to get Eastwood to investigate his apartment and draw him into a game? Or is this just something that happened accidentally? He says, hey, I'm being investigated by Clint Eastwood. I can have some fun with this.
0: I mean, John Malkovich is so careful throughout a lot of this that you kind of get the sense that this was a setup. He wanted to play with somebody. Talks a lot about the game and playing the game. So, you know, he didn't have to make a whole murder collage in his apartment and leave it I mean leave it for the landlady to find
1: and also it's true that as kind of a running theme in the movie there's many phone calls between Malkovich and uh, Eastwood and Malkovich often seems to suggest that, that he and Eastwood are very very similar and that maybe if a couple of things had turned out differently maybe uh, Malkovich would be in Eastwood shoes and vice versa like a player on the other side sort of situation he sees eastwood as uh, a comrade someone he has a lot in common with which i think Eastwood finds disturbing
0: right and uh you know i mean that's kind of a that's i mean i feel like that's a pretty common theme in a lot of different kind of thriller movies like we're not so different you and i you know (laughs) but i mean i think it's played pretty well in this one you learn more things about malkovich that you know, make you sort of say, ah, yes, maybe maybe that they are kind of similar. Um, but then I think we go back into uh, the Secret Service and sort of see kind of where Clint Eastwood currently stands there and, and how that, that's going to affect his ability to doesn't stand
1: too highly.
0: No, everybody's kind of like, get out of here, old man, you know.
1: Even though he's not really all that old.
0: <sighs> <laughs> you keep telling yourself that.
1: Very sprightly.
0: Oh, God. Um, Clint Eastwood is kind of seen like, you know, he's a guy who clearly is still out there doing investigative stuff. He has not climbed the ranks like some of his buddies at the top. And, you know, some of the some of the folks seem to like him. Some of the folks seem to be just exasperated by him. There's a guy who plays Lumberg in Office Space, and he just does not want, like him at all. They're getting all pissed off at each other during this... Uh, Perhaps, perhaps
1: more relevant to uh, our our uh, interests, the, the guy, uh, the actor's name is Gary Cole. He, I know him best; he played Jeffrey McDonald in Fatal Vision.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> ah, well, yeah, there you go. Um, he he is uh, yeah, he does not like Clint Eastwood in this. He's gonna like, you're a dinosaur. You need to get the hell out of here. But um, but the the director likes him. I don't know who the director is played by. But they, director is played
1: name. by John Mahoney, best known as Martin Crane. From TV's Frasier.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. Wow. Well, he they're they're buds. So he's like, you know what? You you know he he kind of keeps him kind of linked into this investigation into this potential assassin. And then of course you uh, meet Rene Rousseau, who is a, a, a lady secret service agent, and
1: just a little bit younger than Clint.
0: Well, we we did the math, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> You sound so embarrassed. So Clint Eastwood in nineteen ninety-three was sixty-three and Renee Rousseau was thirty-nine. So they have a twenty-four eight year age gap, which is two years more than us. So we are basically them. And weirdly enough, we met on a on the Secret Service detail. Yeah, it's was, it was like <laughs> You were you were you were obsessed with stopping the assassination and I was a sprightly young thing. So this is basically our love story. <laughs> you also are, you also were for, were for a time obsessed with the JFK assassination, I might note, Kevin. So the parallels are there. They're eerie. They're eerie. And I also have blonde hair.
1: <laughs> and I used to call you up and say creepy things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you still do. It's great. Are we Rene Rousseau and Clint Eastwood or am I your John Malkovich? <laughs> 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 You and I, Kevin, we're not so different.
1: (laughs) You're the player on the other side. (laughs) This also, when we see him with Rene Russo for the first time, uh, at least on his side, there's a little bit of a spark. Uh, I think we get the idea that before the movie started, he was kind of an antisocial loner who spent a lot of time by himself in his apartment listening to jazz music, maybe playing a piano. Something about Renee Russo uh, seems to spark his interest. He tries to awkwardly flirt with her. He says a number of really sexist uh, things. Guys,
0: pro tip: sexism is not flirty. Yeah. I did not like these. I did not like these flirty scenes. I ended up warming to the romance. I ended up warming to the romance element in this film. But at this point, I was just rolling my eyes. I'm like, why do we need this?
1: I think it was a, a storytelling choice because the members of the Secret Service, they, they see Clint Eastwood as a dinosaur for reasons related to the work that maybe the viewer can't understand. But if we see Clint Eastwood trying to awkwardly flirt and know that he's using flirting methods from like 1957, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of makes him look like a, a little bit of a, of a dinosaur to us too. And maybe... We think of him as kind of like a, a harmless grandpa type. You know, maybe he should get out of the way. He can't even flirt with Rene Russo. How is he going to stop an assassin?
0: Yeah. yeah. And
1: this, I note, is is something that is completely different from our role. I was
0: about to I was about to try to beat you to the punch and say that's exactly what happened with you. No, and I, I.
1: I was more like Cary Grant.
0: how, so? how are you like Cary Grant, Kevin? Want to want to elaborate I, when, when
1: I pitched my woo?
0: Oh God! <laughs> don't why don't you pitch your woo in the other direction? I feel like. You know, everyone's kinda of ribbing him also on how how fucking old he is. They're just like, You're about you're one foot in the grave, old man. What are you still doing here? What are you trying to do? And I kinda of felt like maybe there was something here about, you know, like Americans are obsessed with work. We worship work. People who work more are better and da 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 and it's like, this guy can't even let go of his work to like maybe maybe do more of like a behind the scenes or leadership role for 5 seconds like he has to put himself out there it's it's 63 that's intense
1: and he really if you pardon the phrase wants to put himself in the line of fire he want yes he says this guy is interested in me it's important that i personally be on the detail protecting the president
0: and listen i i think i think i think in this case obviously he was correct Obviously, it was good that he was there. But I think so many people lie to themselves and think that they have a president to protect when, in fact, they don't. And they're just being brainwashed into our crazy, crazy culture to just work themselves to death for way longer than they should have to. That's my opinion. So that's point one in the this movie is about how awful workplace culture is in America.
1: And it, when he was When he did his first tour of duty on the protective detail, it looked like maybe he was going to work himself to death. Because he's running along the president's limo, he's huffing, he's puffing, he's sweating. He looks terrible, and in fact, afterwards, when he gets back to the office, he kind of just collapses in a, in his chair It's a big sweaty mess. And it's like, like
0: you every day. <laughs> this is what I have to live with. No, in fairness, that would be me, and I'm not 63. I would be, I would be really having trouble keeping up with that motorcade. It seemed to be going pretty fast. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, some workplace ageist pranksters tell the paramedics that he's had a heart attack. So they grab him and he's freaking out. And then everyone has a big laugh about it. They okay boomered him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, uh, Eastwood isn't always the best person to work with with his colleagues Mm -hmm. either. He has his younger colleague, Dylan McDermott, and he bullies Dylan McDermott into giving him rides home every night. He says, if it wasn't for you, I'd have to ride the bus. And I like getting a ride like this. You know, Dylan McDermott has a wife and kid which we were reminded of again in this scene and
0: Dylan McDermott was almost suffocated to death with a plastic bag a few days ago so I feel like Dylan McDermott should probably be taking some time off at the very least I mean if you were doing any kind of work Kevin and that happened to you would you not take some time off for work
1: what kind of work maybe in some line of work maybe uh, it's just part of the business
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I think no matter what kind of work, even if you're an undercover social uh, so, social security, what am I thinking? Secret. <laughs> <This> <laughs> a,
1: I think we need to do a movie about an undercover social security agent. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> my brain is just gone today. Um, secret service agent. If you, even if you're undercover investigator or whatever, if that happens to you, that's pretty traumatic. Maybe just take a take a week, take two weeks.
1: What are you? What, what are you giving me this malarkey?
0: Oh my god. You're one of those old heads. You gotta work. No, I'm so gotta <laughs> gotta keep working. I'm pretty spry. Oh my oh god, <laughs> pretty sprightly. Yeah. Um,
1: so then Eastwood is dropped off at his house, and he goes up there, and soon after he gets a call, another call from Malkovich, mm-hmm. and we start seeing like old clips of JFK with uh, Eastwood's image, you know, edited in to remind us of the connection between Eastwood and uh, JFK. And during this, Malkovich is asking questions and making suggestions. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. Uh, it Just very chilling questions about um, whether or not Eastwood regrets not having his head blown apart. Um, and uh, basically, you know, Malkovich's point is that, like, a Secret Service agent is basically supposed to be there to trade their life for the president. And Eastwood failed to do that. And, and by dint, why is he, what makes him a service, secret service agent, basically, you know, like did, did and he, and Malkovich is curious, was it, was it like a choice that he freeze up or did he just, did he realize that life, he wanted to live and, and just kind of let K- JFK die, basically. And I'm going to say like, at first I found the like, kind of Kennedy footage kind of cheesy and it was going on and I was like, what are they doing? But John Malkovich is like, chilling tone and questions and they're just getting more and more pointed and horrific. I mean, it's just, it, it, be, it was, became, it went from kind of being kind of what are they doing to like, wow, this is really scary and effective. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, you know, the, the, you know, Eastwood keeps him on the phone long enough to, uh, get a location, uh, of, of where this caller is coming from. And he gives it, uh, to the, you know, they, get, they they send the authorities there. But unfortunately, what happens, Kevin?
1: Well, the cops raid the wrong house because Malkovich was clever enough to uh, do something digitally. He did the razzle-dazzle. So it appeared as if the call was coming from another location where it actually was coming from.
0: And uh, so they're no closer to finding out who Mr. Booth is.
1: And so at this point, the Secret Service is like freaking out that the president is going to be killed. And there's this big dinner coming up with the French president. And they say, you better cancel this this state dinner with the French president and the chief of staff, who's uh, Fred Thompson, who uh, later became a senator, oddly enough. Uh, he's saying, no, we can't cancel this state dinner because it's so crucial to the president's reelection campaign that people see him with the French president. <laughs> I didn't really understand yeah, that.
0: Because Americans notoriously love the French. Come on. Even in 93. Come on. We what wanted
1: we that th- that Frenchy seal of approval. Yeah,
0: we love Europeans telling us what to do.
1: Well, again, in fairness, I think one thing that worked with me and you is when I sent you a, a picture of myself with French President uh, Sardozy.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> Did you say Sar- Sardozy? That- how, how do you pronounce <laughs> it? Sarkozy. <laughs> me and Sardozy And I said, like, look, you big idiot. Here's how you pronounce that um yeah i mean they got to get that crucial french vote i i i was yes some of the calls that the white house are making in this are, are pretty baffling like later there's a scene where they're like we got a campaign in california it's gonna be down to the wire kevin was was california a swing state in the early 90s am i just no no so i feel like a bunch of goons are making up this president's staff but anyways
1: but it is french dinner uh, There's some more awkward flirting between Clint Eastwood and Renee Russo. She's wearing a very tight dress. And he says, oh, where's your gun hidden there? Oh, do you want me to guess?
0: He actually makes that cat noise. He's not making that up.
1: And Anya was thinking that the older men in the audience would really be enjoying this.
0: Yeah, because it's like they'd be like, Clint still got it. That could be me. <laughs> That's what you were literally shouting out. <laughs> um but no it's 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 I mean and I think at this point I noticed and honestly to me like looking back this wasn't even where the film really got super going I mean I was already intrigued I was hooked I was into it but um, the film really didn't get going for me until a little while later but at this point you were so engrossed you just stopped taking notes can you tell me about that
1: the film got me it was very engrossing John Malkovich's performance is electrifying and chilling
0: it really is spooky he's really good um
1: and we're coming up with a scene now he's he's particularly chilling he goes as part of his scheme he needs to open up a bank account so he can use it to write large checks to donate to the president's election campaign and he opens up uh, a bank account and the clerk is pretty chatty and she says oh where are you from and he says uh minneapolis And it turns out she's from Minneapolis and she starts asking him questions about Minneapolis and it becomes apparent he's not familiar with
0: the city. I don't know why he didn't just say like, oh, I meant like the region. Like it was actually kind of it was like, you know, an hour out, basically. She wouldn't have known like the country part of, you know, Minnesota. Or he could have been like, he could have been like, no, 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 it's actually kind of funny. It's Minneapolis, Kansas. That's what I would have done. You've
1: got it all worked out. I'm
0: smarter than <laughs> evil assassin John Malkovich.
1: <laughs> How does this work out for this uh, young uh, banker?
0: It's very sad because she is murdered in a very horrifying fashion and it's a terrifying scene. Um, basically, uh, they they uh, he goes to, he follows her home and sort of tries to, I mean, it's a terrifying scene because she gets home and is petting her dog. And then... She turns to the door, which she left open, and he's standing there. And it's, oh, no, just sh- shut the fucking door and let your dog free. Because the dog is, like, leashed up or something. And then she lets him in. And he's saying, oh, I'm just awkward. I just wanted to ask you out. I followed you home. And then and then he's, it's really terrifying because then he says, I just want to talk. I mean, you know I was lying about being from Minneapolis, so I need to talk to you about that. And it's like, ah! it's just fucking terrifying. And then her roommate comes in, and then basically he just snaps both their necks. It's terrifying. It's a very scary scene.
1: And then he bounces.
0: And then he bounces, and the dog is left alive. Um, but, uh, you know unusual way of killing people also so that that kind of starts telling us something about who this guy is and what you know what skills he has but it's it's very scary and it's just like oh i hate people yeah like you think you're home and safe and then it was it was scary meanwhile clint eastwood is being a sexist doofus as usual talking about how lady agents are window dressing to uh sate the feminazi vote and uh Rene Russo's like, well, who are you, who, what demographic are you stating here?
1: <laughs> if, 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 would this have worked with you if I spent all of our early relationship basically shitting on you and your career? You, say, you know, I know, you know honey, you're a reporter, but those lady reporters, all they do is just cover fashion shows. Because this seems to work on Rene.
0: Yeah, he's doing the, what I think what they call it is negging technique. Of, like, you're not that great, you know, and then the, the woman's supposed to be like, oh, my God, I love you, you know, like, I want to impress you. And, like, I feel like, I feel like a guy wrote a lot of their, like, early banter, you know what I mean? Because it, it just, it's like, this would never, I she's a professional woman who takes her career, obviously, very seriously. You know, they could have had some fun and flirty, you know, kind of teasing banter without making it, like, women shouldn't be allowed in the Secret Service. Do you want to oh! fuck me now? Oh, wow. Clint. Um, so that, I, I, that, that's kind of why I didn't care for this early stuff. Cause it just felt like, you know, she's a competent lady. She seems pretty confident in herself. She's not going to take shit. I don't think she would be really interested in, in this guy, the way he talks.
1: So uh, you could have uh,
0: established, you could have established that he was an old dinosaur without making him like a sexist old dinosaur he could have been like oh well don't we still do this and they'd be like no you doofus we didn't do that since the 80s you know and 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 that could have been the thing to establish him as
1: and I guess frankly my, my problem was I understood why he'd be interested in her and why he'd want to go to bed with her I'm not or even have a relationship with her I'm not sure I understood what a an attractive, capable, strong, young Secret Service agent of the female gender. Why she would be interested in him?
0: And, and and with especially when it's like he's not, he does not seem like a nice person when he's when he's pulling this crap. Like you could have, they they needed some workshopping here. They needed some female writers to come in and say, let's just uh, let's tone some of this down here. And uh, but you know, we get a great shot of them eating ice cream on the Lincoln Memorial. That shot made me really miss being in D.C. It's a fun city.
1: You had some pretty swinging times there.
0: Yeah. I I interned there for a summer in college and it was a cool town. What year was that? Uh, 2015, 2014. I don't remember. Time means nothing anymore. But yeah.
1: So, so it was Obama's Washington.
0: It was Obama's Washington, baby. What a time.
1: Uh, I, I was struck a little bit by thinking how uh, both John Malkovich's character and Clint Eastwood's character were seen to be profoundly affected by the assassination of JFK. Uh, Malkovich seems to be really, really obsessed with it, and seems to see it as a symbol of something uh, of something that represents a massive change in the country and how it perceived itself. And it occurred to me if you were remaking. This movie now, or if you were making a similar movie now, the event that would uh, scar the characters would likely be 9-11. and uh, I'm curious to see how that movie would be.
0: Yeah, it would, that's that's you know th- that would that would be interesting. Uh, I guess you know if if this if the JFK assassination was in some ways, I mean, you know more about it than I do because you've actually researched it. But if that was a failure of the Secret Service, then obviously I would I would imagine that 9/11 would be more about the CIA and the FBI, right? Right. right. Um, what was the JFK assassination a failure of the Secret Service in your opinion? Like, did they did they bungle that? Or I mean, obviously he died. <laughs> what what? <laughs> kind of the worst thing happened? <laughs> yeah, but like,
1: it worked out just as they hoped.
0: <laughs> how culpable? How culpable do you think the Secret Service was in terms of that happening? Uh,
1: I, 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 in my opinion, the the Secret Service bears some blame. I, I think I'd put more blame on the, the hands of the FBI. There's an FBI agent who actually talked to Oswald and, and interviewed Oswald's family in the weeks prior to the assassination. Oswald was so upset by this that he left behind a threatening note to this FBI agent threatening to blow up the FBI building. Uh, I think the FBI could have done a bit of basic research and say, oh, this this wild man who threatened to blow up the FBI building is working in a building on the motorcade route for the president. Hmm. The Secret Service certainly did some things wrong. Uh, Some of the agents were out drinking late the night before, which may have reduced their reaction time. Uh, I think they were a little bit too willing to go along with some of JFK's wishes. He did not want any Secret Service agents to ride on the sides of the car that he was in uh, because he wanted people to be able to see him, and if perhaps if Secret Service agents had been riding, standing on the sides of the car, perhaps they would have been able to take the bullet instead of uh, Kennedy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's an interesting... Kevin, who did the JFK assassination?
1: Uh, the JFK was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Why do you ask, Ms. Kane? Because there's a lot of stupid people out there. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyways, yeah, the, the 9-11. I mean, one thing I was thinking about, this is stupid. This is stupid. It's not stupid. It's, it's a big deal. Like, we think about, when we think about assassinations... What are the two presidential assassinations you think about?
1: I guess the two big ones are JFK and Lincoln.
0: Why does nobody care about McKinley and Garfield? No, no, and, and I asked, I me mean, like, did the nation go into mourning over Garfield? Am I just missing that? I don't know. I enjoy history. I enjoy reading about history, but I don't know. I'm sure there was something, but you never hear about it. You never like, oh, my God, the, <laughs> the post-Garfield dark days where everyone was walking around wearing black. I just don't hear about it.
1: I think they went into mourning for him, and uh, wasn't he the one where he probably would have lived, except the doctors really messed up? Yes. And so it was kind of a long, drawn-out, painful
0: death. Oh, that's sad, because it's like it was like almost like the mourning period kind of got messed up, because it was like, oh, maybe he's okay. Oh, no, it's taking a turn for the worse. He, sound, he always seemed like a pretty chill guy to me. I don't know that much about Garfield, but I feel like he would have been an okay president.
1: I'd recommend reading uh, Dark Horse by the great historian Kenneth Ackerman. There you go. All about Garfield.
0: Yeah. Don't you don't feel like he seemed like a chill dude?
1: Yes. That was the theme of Dark Horse. This fella's a chill cat.
0: (laughs) Don't make fun of my millennial slang, (laughs) old man. (laughs) Or I'll tell people that you're having a heart attack (laughs) and they'll go running over and try to help you. Um, And then
1: McKinley, maybe people don't care about him so much because he was kind of a jerk, wasn't he?
0: (laughs) That guy's a jerk. I hope he gets shot. Oops. (laughs) Wait, really? I mean, I I, don't
1: know. What about all that stuff in the Philippines? But Kennedy was. Do you, do you, do you.
0: you, Okay, the stuff, yeah. The Philippines. America America committed horrific, horrific war crimes in what it did in the Philippines. And it's a disgusting thing and people should look it up. But I'm going to say this. I mean. Mark Hanna uh kennedy was still in vietnam so he i mean like he was doing i know he was beloved because of the whole image that was cultivated about camelot but like it's it's more about like the president was killed as as opposed to like this guy who it's a flawed mess of a human being
1: and mckinley was said to be a much better husband than jfk was Mm -hmm. his wife if i recall correctly uh was an epileptic and when she would have a seizure It would embarrass her if it was happening out in public. And so he would take uh, his handkerchief and he would discreetly put it over her face as she had a seizure. So people wouldn't see that and spare her some embarrassment. Wow. Kennedy, on the other hand, just had sex with everything that moved.
0: Yeah, he humiliated his wife. Yeah. He was was not a very nice person, um, to say the least. (laughs) Uh, But no, yeah, I I was just curious because like, you know. There's always a lot of when you talk about presidential assassinations, I think the thing that is emotionally resonant for modern day people is a the JFK assassination, because there are still people around who, you know, went through that as a country and, you know, horrible. And and then you think of Lincoln and you think about, okay, all this, you know, this is kind of like a tragic thing. He's considered one of our best presidents, plunged the nation into confusion right after a horrific civil war. But you never really talk about the other guys, and it's just...
1: Do you think it has something to do with the motivations for the assassinations? Uh, yeah, like, no
0: one really remembers, like, the anarchist bombers, you know, like...
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Trogosh killed McKinley because of the evils of capitalism. Yeah. And guteau killed uh, Garfield because of an inter-party conflict.
0: <laughs> Everyone loves those. <laughs> Gotta get- <laughs> Remember those very, like, minute... Fights over nothing. I, I mean, with the capitalist thing, that's kind of interesting. You'd almost think that like right wingers today would be like, remember McKinley? <laughs> Those socialist Democrats would have this happen again. You'd almost think that. You'd think that. Because it would be that 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 would be the kind of dumb shit they'd pull. But I guess it's too obscure. Um, I don't know. But we digress. Yeah, we digress. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I like talking about history I know nothing about. Oh yeah, at one point <laughs> speaking of all this, to segue out of this mire, at one point Clint Eastwood says, Abe, wish I could have been there for you, pal, when he's looking up at the Lincoln Memorial, <laughs> which I thought that was kinda charmingly stupid.
1: That was bizarre.
0: <laughs> Abe's like, No problem, sir. Like what the fuck? <laughs> that's gonna... <laughs> And then Clint Eastwood travels back in time to save <laughs> Abe Lincoln. Um,
1: I, I thought it was interesting. I, I was thinking that maybe one reason they had the romance is that uh, Clint Eastwood was kind of an aging failure. He was in time, had kind of moved past him, and this whole thing with uh, John Malkovich was giving him a chance to kind of redo the past and maybe do it better this time. Maybe this time he could save the president, maybe this time he could get the girl and keep her. And so to me, it felt like the romance was about him trying to reclaim life.
0: I, that's fair, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not crazy about the trope of like women being like a prize to show that your life is back on track. But I thought the end of the romance in the movie was handled much better than its inauspicious beginning. So I'll say that. One quick question, though, throwing us back into the quagmire <laughs> of history. Kevin, at one point, John Malkovich says he thinks that JFK had a death wish. Now, we all know that JFK was a troubled man in many respects, and you know more about him than I do. Do you think that's remotely true?
1: I don't think he had a death wish. I think he had kind of like an Irish type of fatalism or romantic view about death, and he realized there was, his death couldn't really be pre- prevented. If some, He always said that if someone really wanted to kill the president, they could get away with it. Uh, they could actually kill him as long as they were willing to trade their life for his. And he had narrowly escaped death in World War II a couple of times. He had severe health problems. Uh, there's some medical evidence that suggests that if he hadn't been assassinated, he probably wouldn't have lived that much longer anyway. Maybe he wouldn't have uh, lived to complete a second term.
0: Very Irish. That is a very Irish. You know what? Leave the Leave the Secret Service agents off my car. Just let it happen. <laughs> that would be me as president i will say you know in response you know regards to his question about uh jfk having a death wish and that whole this whole back and forth cat and mouse game with clint eastwood john malkovich is just i mean obviously he got an academy nom for this but he's just so good in this he's so scary he really he really keep like you're this is a terrifying villain it really it's really and so, and so the next
1: time he calls Clint Eastwood is when Clint Eastwood is at the office with all of his Secret Service buddies. And then somebody traces the call and says, well, by golly, this guy's calling from across the street.
0: They all go running out of the office in their suits yelling, there's a, sales at men's, there's a sale at Men's Warehouse. <laughs> looks, it looks very kind of silly, doesn't it? Because everyone's like pouring out of the building and running and uh, running into cars. Yeah, that would be yeah. pretty surreal to see happen in real life if you were driving.
1: King Clint East was getting hit by cars. It's just, <laughs> it's a mess.
0: It, it's a mess. It's a Joseph A. Banks disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, <laughs> what are we talking about?
1: Oh, so they're running, trying to chase him because he's across the street.
0: He's dressed kind of like a drifter. And um, he, he runs from Eastwood and he ends up getting away. And I think that sort of highlights on something that Kevin and I both liked about this movie where, you know, Clint Eastwood's often in, in you know, Rill's past is sort of the dirty, hairy character, the super cop. He's, uh you know, going to catch his man. He's, he's really nimble and quick and ready to go. Um, quick on the draw. And that. That, this is not that Clint Eastwood that we're seeing. This is a very vulnerable Clint Eastwood. He's aging. He's over the hill. Um, he is. He's struggling.
1: And even when he was at his peak, he failed at his job. Yes. Because Kennedy died.
0: He's, he's much more fallible, much more vulnerable. And as a result, it's much more interesting to watch him because he's having to confront all these different challenges that aren't entirely related to Malkovich. Sometimes it's just that... Challenges that he himself poses, because he can't run as fast or shoot as well as he used to.
1: In the course of this chase, when they're chasing him, before he gets away, Malkovich leaves a fingerprint on a car. And so Eastwood takes this fingerprint in to be identified, and they do identify it. But they don't tell the Secret Service who it belongs to.
0: Very, very naughty FBI. <laughs> Curses. Was was this Was this... In 93 was this before or after Waco because they got a lot of bad you know people were kind of that was a bad situation.
1: Uh, this was filmed I believe prior to Waco but released after Waco. I believe this was uh, released in July of 1993 and uh, the the blaze at Waco was I believe was then on uh, April 20th 1993 if I remember correctly.
0: It's just interesting because I'm always I, when we have um, movies about different government agencies, And certain agencies are kind of getting good press and other ones within the same film are sort of getting bad press. It's always interesting to me, you know, if any, what were the sort of cultural events or political events that might have been informing some of that where, you know, the FBI is the good guys, the CIA is the bad guys. Like what's exactly going on to uh, inform that? In this case, the Secret Service are the good guys, FBI and CIA. FBI is kind of more of an accomplice and then CIA are the real bad guys. All right. Um, but anyways, oh, we should probably talk about speaking of CIA people. No, uh, no, (laughs) sorry for the spoiler, but what is John Malkovich doing in a lot of these scenes? Um, that are, you know, what's he up to?
1: There's a lot of scenes where he's shown very carefully making, Devices And it's not really explained at first what these devices are, but there's something ominous about them because we know whatever they are, they're not for Sunday school.
0: There you go. (laughs) Not for Sunday school. So I like that. Oh, this is interesting. So, yeah, we were talking about the the interagency conflicts in this, and I was curious about what Secret Service agents themselves think of this movie in real life.
1: This was the first movie they ever cooperated with. They didn't get creative control. But they were apparently interested in having a movie, uh, at least somewhat realistically uh, depict what exactly the Secret Service does, and so they welcomed the opportunity to uh, work on this movie. They had no creative control. They did make some suggestions here or there, and many of those suggestions were apparently taken by the filmmakers.
0: They didn't J. Edgar Hoover it. It, it feels it feels realistic. It feels like you're kind of getting into the like nitty gritty of like what what exactly secret service agents are doing. And I, and I feel like the film is better for that. It doesn't feel like it's just the, the, you know, the Hollywood version of like people constantly tackling the president, you know, it's like all the behind the scenes stuff about, you know, uh, tracking down counterfeit bills and, 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 uh, you know, figuring out how to deal with certain specific threats.
1: And one thing that kind of seemed realistic to me was the idea of an older man thinking he could impress a younger woman by saying, you know, I once played piano with Richard Nixon. Because that's something that happens in this movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood is at a bar (laughs) with Rene Russo, and he says, hey, I once played piano with Richard Nixon. And that gets to her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fellas, take note.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That gets to her something fierce
0: good lord the nixon days and in, in
1: fact they shortly thereafter end up in her hotel room
0: yeah yeah at first she kind of walks out on him but then they meet up again in the uh, in the elevator and start making out to go to her hotel room you know at this point i was kind of like this romance like it's just you know you you have you have this kind of start to a sex scene where you see the walking across the floor and they're dropping handcuffs and weapons and all these things. And it's funny, but it's also like, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I hope it's meant to be funny. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they end up getting interrupted, of course, because the president has changed his schedule.
1: And Clint Eastwood kind of sighs warily and it says, now I got to put all that shit back on.
0: So that was pretty funny. But, you know, I'm just... I at this point I feel like after after this, I feel like the romance becomes much less obtrusive and unrealistic and kind of is more of like these two characters respect each other and might feel something for more for one another. And so we it, it it's good because it marks the turning point of that kind of like forced sexist banter crap. So that's good.
1: Frank gets sick. He didn't get any. So yeah, he, he didn't get his loving. This so. is
0: this is crap you do. Oh, I have a cold now.
1: <laughs> fellas take note
0: <laughs> you, you didn't have sex really with me and then I got sick <laughs> uh, so
1: he's all hot and sweaty and he's feverish but he still feels uh, obligated to work
0: because this is America and this is the kind of work culture crap or, that we have
1: so he goes to this big event There's lots of balloons there. The president's there. John Malkovich is there. He pops a balloon.
0: Who pops the balloon? The president, John Malkovich, or Clint Eastwood?
1: John Malkovich.
0: Yes. He's up to his usual schemes, his sinister schemes. Unfortunately, you know, popping balloon plus feverish Clint Eastwood equals Clint Eastwood making a bad call. says gun and all the other Secret Service agents tackle the president on the podium. The
1: president looks the fool.
0: He looks like a coward because getting tackled by a bunch of people makes you look like a coward. These were like these were were these actual political concerns in the nineties.
1: I, I don't really recall a lot of presidents getting tackled by secret service agents in the nineties.
0: Hmm. But I don't. You feel like this is kind of like the nineties bullshit where they'd be like the you know the president be like the president and they like D- looked very undignified because a bunch of secret service agents tackled him. Like these are the concerns people used to have, and okay. nowadays, like the world has gone insane. So, like the press you know, like people, you know, all kinds of crazy shit could go down on stage. Nobody and cares. Would, yeah, no one will bat an eye. But back then, people were like, oh, that's not, that's not a, that's not the traditional way of doing it. Actually, you're not supposed to get tackled by a bunch of secret service agents. Um, but of course, Frank is blamed for this uh, debacle, and uh, he is basically taken off the uh, president's detail. He's re- relegated back to his old investigative job.
1: He's at a real low now
0: he really is and it also they, they start going into uh, I believe sort of like you know you're, you''re basically you're washed up and I was I just it got me thinking how do you think Frank's life might have been different if JFK hadn't died or do you think that Frank sort of used the JFK assassination as sort of a like some, something that kind of like to blame everything bad in his life on
1: do you think if JFK hadn't died Frank would have died? Would he have taken the bullet and died?
0: Maybe. Yeah, maybe.
1: And maybe sometimes if you're in a particular frame of mind and your life is falling apart, maybe the idea of death is uh, looks pretty appealing. Maybe I'd be better off dead. Right. Wow. You That's deep. I'm feeling kind of down.
0: Oh, Kevin. Face it, Kevin. You're too old for this shit. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. That's what they tell Frank at the end of this scene, though, when they're kicking him off the detail um
1: meanwhile john malkovich is out in the woods runs into a couple of good old boys
0: Ugh. and you know you you've seen what he did to the banker and her roommate so you're you're pretty freaked out for these guys lots of tension building he's just given off such a creepy vibe i mean if you if you see a john malkovich looking guy in the woods just don't go just mind your own business don't don't go over and try to test his special gun and then ask what when he says you want to kill? The, he wants to kill the president. Just get the fuck out Just of there. Just run.
1: And it's also about this time that Clint Eastwood and Dylan McDermott uh, figure out who uh, Malkovich is in really. Uh, they go to his place in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a guy already in there, and it's ain't John Malkovich. No. Who is it?
0: JFK. No. <laughs> JFK Jr. <laughs> no, it's um, it's a spook. It is the CIA is already there, and they have a you know they have a standoff for a minute, but then they all where
1: Dylan McDermott his life is threatened, Clint Eastwood's life is threatened, but they they work it out.
0: <sighs> and and the CIA is basically like, "Oops, sorry, uh, this is a quote unquote wet boy." Which means that he is an assassin. Wet work in the spy trade is what you call um, assassination because it refers to, you know, people getting wet with blood. And um, he's a, he's a lo- contractor who's gone rogue now. He did a lot of really horrific work for the CIA over the years and feels like they burned him. And now he wants revenge. So he, like Clint Eastwood, is a longtime dedicated member of uh, you know, one of these eight one of these governmental agencies and feels like he's put in his time, but has kind of been left this wet boy has been left out to dry. <laughs> oh, don't be mad at me. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Anyways, um and uh, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of where it stands then.
1: And Dylan McDermott is a little bit freaked out. I don't know how long this movie has lasted in its own universe. But since the movie started for us, he has been bound and gagged. He's had a gun pointed at his head. He's had a bag put over his head and nearly suffocated. then he's almost been shot to death by a guy from the CIA. So he's telling Clint Eastwood, that's it. I'm done. I'm scared. This is not for me. I got to quit.
0: He's, he's quitting for mental health reasons. And then... Frank, uh, or rather uh, Clint Eastwood, is like you're feeling depressed. You're feeling upset. You have PTSD from this. Don't quit though, because I need you.
1: He says he, he says he needs him,
0: and that's enough to make Dylan McDermott stick around. Unfortunately, because you know you know that's not going to end well.
1: But I like this scene because in it, both of these male, these strong male characters were. Uh, displaying raw emotional need. Dylan McDermott was genuinely scared and Clint Eastwood was admitting he, he really needed this guy to stick around.
0: Yes, it was. I liked that. It was not, uh, it was a healthy form of masculinity there being displayed by these two gents. Um, but it's definitely, you know how it's terrible to work in the United States because you know, if you're, if your job is constantly traumatizing you and putting you in these horrible situations, and you can't handle it, and it's wrecking your head. You should definitely quit. And and maybe, maybe you could hang out and get coffee with Clint Eastwood once in a while, <laughs> and be there for him in that way.
1: Uh, shortly after this, Malkovich calls Clint Eastwood yet again,
0: and he proves that he would be a wonderful podcaster. He's got a great whispery voice, and he always has a hearty welcome for the audience listening into their calls. So. <laughs> 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 this uh this uh ex-CIA uh, scary guy could have a great pot he should have just channeled his energy into having a podcast about assassinations instead of trying to plan one yeah. what yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, what do that's you, you look so nervous now <laughs> is that what you're doing here with me <laughs> if you weren't doing this Kevin what would you be up to <laughs> uh, uh,
1: this is a good movie
0: Did you get into this movie because this was around the time you were interested in the JFK assassination?
1: Yeah, this was shortly before this was released in July of '93. It was shortly before the 30th anniversary. Uh, I was really interested in the Kennedy assassination at the time. Uh, I just also been very interested in Clint Eastwood. I think Uh, *Unforgiven* had come out had come out the year before, and I just love that movie. I love the darkness of it. I've read that some people uh, claim that Unforgiven was kind of Clint Eastwood's farewell to the tropes of the Western and the man with no name character, and that this movie was did kind of the same thing to uh, Dirty Harry.
0: Absolutely. I could see that completely. I could see that.
1: Tell me about this, com- this particular conversation between Malkovich and uh, Mr. Eastwood.
0: It is electric. Uh, it's electric, except for one really stupid thing that Clint Eastwood says at one point. But, anyways, lots of wonderful lines, especially from Mr. Malkovich. Um, they're they're talking about how they're similar, and and sort of how and you're really getting a real t- deeper insight into Malkovich's worldview and what's sort of driving his need to assassinate the president. Um, I love the line where he's kind of comparing his experience working for the government to Clint Eastwood saying, uh, we both used to think this country was a very special place. And, and, you know, now he now he no longer does. I think for me, sitting here in 2020, that line hits very differently than it might have for most audience members in 1993. How so? I don't think this country is a special place. And I think the the wool was pulled over all of our eyes for a long time. And this covid epidemic has really uh, forced a reckoning for a lot of people about how deeply deeply damaged this country is the fact that we let thousands of our fellow citizens die in such a manner in this in this horrible pandemic and uh, there's been no leadership and and um you know it it's hard to sit and say you're special when you see something like that happen i think in the roaring 90s when everyone's having a great time and has all the money and no oh, we're going to We won the Cold War. Wow. You know, it's this this line might have been like, oh, wow, Malkovich, you're such a downer. Jeez. And nowadays I'm like nodding like, yeah, (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I'm as I'm as jaded as this ex CIA assassin (laughs) guy.
1: (laughs) Are you a wet girl?
0: I'm a wet girl. I don't know. Are you are you are you have you taken the (laughs) Malkovich red pill? (laughs) (laughs) Or is that just me being depressing?
1: Well, I, I'm worried if you go on talking like this, you might have a rendezvous with my ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. That was the one really corny line in this this uh very sizzling otherwise sizzling back and forth. And that just definitely speaks speaks to like Clint Eastwood's character not really having much to say in terms of Malkovich's scathing criticism of the United States and how it treats its citizens and the people who dedicate their lives working for this government. You can have a rendezvous with my ass. (laughs) That sounds like a line delivered by somebody who has nothing, nothing to throw back. I loved, I loved Malkovich talking about like how he's a monster. They created this, this country created a monster and you know, you can't have monsters roaming the quiet countryside. Now can we Clint Eastwood is throwing back Malkovich's earlier line about what happens in the dark when the demons come, what does he see? Uh, Previously, uh, Malkovich had been asking Clint Eastwood if he saw the JFK assassination happen over again. And now Clint Eastwood is throwing that back at Malkovich. And um, in a, uh, my favorite part of this, when, when Malkovich is just yells, like, you show, show me some goddamn respect. I mean, it's like, he just, the way he just like screams the goddamn respect part mm-hmm. is just so chilling. I mean, I yell that on the phone at people every other day, but, you know. <laughs>
1: You say that when I wake you up every morning.
0: I do. (laughs) I got to keep you in line.
1: And then there's a rooftop chase.
0: Yes. Yes, we've had this uh, intense, intense back and forth, and now we're going to have some intense chasing. People are jumping and running, uh, and we have in the running uh, John Malkovich, uh, Clint Eastwood, and Dylan McDermott, all on the rooftops of D.C. running around.
1: And we should note that there was some sort of uh, issue... Uh, Dylan McDermott had a little bit of trouble getting up on the roof because the thing he climbed on broke. So he had to like push a dumpster over there. And, and so he's a little bit behind Mr. Eastwood and Mr. Malkovich.
0: And it's a roof scene. So you know someone's going to be hanging off the roof at some point. It's an action Who thing. is
1: that, Miss Kane?
0: That is Mr. Clint Eastwood. Um, it's pretty. Sp- I mean, I don't like heights. So seeing him hang off the roof made me a little bit. Ooh. Um, and. I thought this was a really like I, I talked about the scene where he kills the banker, where he's suddenly in the doorframe. This was probably the other scene that kind of gave me a bit of a fright. I'm, I'm very sensitive, so I'm, I don't think this would scare most people. But you, you just see Clint Eastwood. He's looking up at the blue sky holding onto the side of this uh, building. And then suddenly uh, Malkovich's face wearing shades just is looming over him. And, it, and, like, the the thing I thought was, like, that looks like some sort of, like, assassination suspect, like, composite mm-hmm. sketch just, like, appearing over him all of a sudden. It's pretty spooky.
1: And he tells Eastwood to take his hand if he wants to live.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, this guy is a wannabe assassin, but he also seems to want to save Clint Eastwood's life. And it's, it's tense. It's a Eastwood very tense. Eastwood
1: pulls his gun, points it at Malkovich. Malkovich puts the gun in his mouth. <sighs> That moment was apparently improvised on the set.
0: I could tell. Yeah. That seemed like, yeah, I could see that.
1: Meanwhile, Dylan McDermott is on an, uh, another building across the way. He's trying to decide, should he take a shot at uh, John Malkovich?
0: If he shoots John Malkovich, then his partner will die because John Malkovich will let go of Clint Eastwood. So he's ha- he's having to do the calculus there. And uh, so is Clint Eastwood because if Clint Eastwood... Shoots John Malkovich; he will die because he will fall. But at the same time, he will be preventing this predator from going at the president. I mean, it's a pretty—it's a pretty intense. Yeah, it's a pretty intense scene. What—what what did you think of?
1: I think uh, Eastwood should have taken the shot.
0: I think he should have too. Yeah,
1: that's his job.
0: But it's easy for me to say because I'm not hanging off a roof.
1: <laughs> uh, but before he can, uh, Malkovich swings him over to uh, like a little railing. Uh, saves his life. Dylan McDermott takes a shot at Malkovich. Malkovich shoots Dylan McDermott, killing him.
0: Yes. <sighs> and so now uh, this guy who Clint Eastwood have previously encouraged to stay on the secret service is now dead. If He'd retired when he'd wanted to, you know, he'd be still alive. What, and- do, you, what do you think? What do you think Dylan McDermott's death represents in this film? Kevin. Because he he almost died in the beginning, but then they kind of saved him to die later. What does that that do for the film?
1: Does it underline uh, the risk and the dangers?
0: Yeah, I guess, and motivate Clint Eastwood more to get this guy.
1: Yeah, maybe it shows what's at stake, and maybe if Clint Eastwood has lived in this job so long, has he just played it safe his whole career? No. You don't think so?
0: I don't think it's, I think it's, I, think, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't think it's easy to be a Secret Service agent or that it's not dangerous to be a Secret Service agent, but um, how many Secret Service agents have died in the history of the service? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I think this is a very spe- Look it up, because this I think this is a very specific uh, challenge that these Secret Service agents are having to rise to meet. Um, and I think the undercover thing... I don't think, I think Dylan McDermott was in danger in that scene, but I think Clint Eastwood was always going to make sure that he was going to try to save him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is a different situation. This is like, um John Malkovich is like coming for them. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: And Dylan McDermott could have potentially transferred from the investigative desk to something else, you know, that was less, that was less intense than that. It looks like 37. 37. Okay, wow. That's a lot more than I thought. (laughs) Since when?
1: Uh, Well, let me scroll back here. Earliest is Operative William Craig. He died in 1902 in a collision between a streetcar and the president's carriage.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ.
1: I'll pick another one here. How many
0: deaths by Malkovich? uh,
1: Operative Joseph A. Walker was murdered in 1907 while conducting a land fraud investigation. Where? Durango, Colorado.
0: Oh. That town sounds like not good news. These are all, like, old-timey before, like, laws were thing, though.
1: <laughs> a guy killed in 1927, Robert K. Webster. He was shot and killed by a liquor runner while on a Coast Guard boat en route to Bimney Island to conduct a counterfeit investigation.
0: Wow, shit. I mean, that, these are all terrible, and I'm sorry these men died. It just this, that, Those seem like different kind of circumstances than what we're, you know.
1: James W. Hare was shot and killed during a dispute at a firing range. Not a good place to have a dispute. No. Just ask Chris Kyle.
0: Oh. <laughs> <It's> too
1: soon. <laughs> I can go on and on. Operative Robert L. Godby died in an auto accident while on an official business in
0: 1935. These, a lot of these sound very old. And, and I think the country, it was a different place. Back then, if you were a Durango bad guy, you might just shoot a Secret Service. Special
1: Agent James Hollinger had a heart attack.
0: Okay. I mean, that like, was it a, caused by something happening?
1: Let, let me go to the end here and uh, maybe the last couple ones. Yeah. Okay. Special Agent Noel Remagen, uh died as a result of a massive stroke while on a protective assignment. Wow. 2018.
0: Well, that's terrible.
1: Uh, another man died in 2007 of a heart attack. You're looking for one who died by violence, right?
0: Well, I, yeah, I just don't think guy, you were saying you were, you were making accident. it sound like it was the most dangerous job in the world. And I don't I don't think it is.
1: Guy died uh, 9-11 World Trade Center.
0: Oh, God, that's terrible.
1: A lot of car accidents.
0: That kind of makes sense to me, though. Think about how many motorcades they have to ride in.
1: This is an odd one. Hector Diaz died as a result of contracting hepatitis C while performing his investigative duties. What the f... We
0: digress. (laughs) This is what happens when you have a bunch of true crime freaks doing a movie podcast. Jesus. Jesus. But anyways, we we mentioned... (laughs) We probably should just not even cut all that out. Those are real people who died. People died, Kevin. uh, Within the Secret Service ranks... Frank, in a way, describes himself as a living legend because he's the only active agent who ever lost a president. Yes. Um, I guess the last ser- most serious attempt was Reagan, but he, of course, did not die when right. John Hinckley shot him.
1: And then weren't there some Puerto Ricans who tried to kill Truman in uh, like yeah, the but- early 50s? I didn't some people die in that?
0: I think some people died in that, but Reagan's obviously much more recently than Truman. Kevin, well, I'm
1: trying to think of a, of a Secret Service agent dying to save a president.
0: I think some Secret Service wasn't in the Reagan one. Somebody really badly hurt.
1: Wasn't that Press Secretary James Brady?
0: Oh, um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about.
1: But we digress.
0: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, and and at this point, at this point, John Malkovich has done so many heinous things. It's kind of ominous to watch him just walking around his hotel because you're worried that some maid's going to come in and he's just going to, like, snap her neck. He's he's just a scary, scary fella.
1: He starts putting on a disguise, and we're getting close to the end game because he says he's intending to kill the president in California, and the California trip is now happening, even as we speak.
0: And um, at this point, Frank causes more problems for himself because he uh, sees a... Suspicious character and follows him into a corridor in the hotel where the California event is taking place, and he, you know, roughs him up. and And who is this poor gentleman? Is it John
1: Malkovich in disguise?
0: No, it's a bellboy. No, that's it. That's it.
1: It's a bellboy.
0: <laughs> I like the applause at, at first; like people were really excited about. Them.
1: Nobody likes those damn bellboys. They're too full of themselves.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, Kevin!
1: <laughs> and I always thought the Jerry Lewis movie, The Bellboy, was overrated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've become like DJ Zoo people. This is terrible. I was oh so Malkovich. Meanwhile, infiltrates the hotel disguised as kind of this you know bland, bland guy with gray hair. He looks a bit different from his normal Malkovichy ways. And he goes, uh, he has an inn at this place because he has befriended the uh, quote-unquote party chair in California by donating a bunch of money through the bank uh, where he killed a woman.
1: Sounds like there could be a clue there.
0: Indeed. Indeed. That was not just random violence. That is going to have a payoff later. Um, But, you know, you're worried about this guy in the elevator. You know, like anytime he's around someone, you're like, it's chilling because you're like, he's killed a bunch of people. And now, uh, but now that Frank has embarrassed everyone yet again by beating up a bellhop, they want him gone. He's too old. He lost his partner. He's just a mess at this point. And, you know, I think they really did a good job as setting up this character to be at a real low point here and, and really vulnerable. He's messed up once. This is his second mess up. He's out.
1: He's done. They say, go to San Francisco. Just get out of here. We're through with you. Nuts to you.
0: And of course, uh, Rene Rousseau comes up to check on him and basically is kind of like, you know, like we're, we're all going to be okay. Like we're all good Secret Service agents. You know, you don't need to be here. And, you know, he's kind of like, he knows that. But uh, this scene really reminded me of you. How <laughs>
1: uh, so?
0: Well, he talks about how for years he's listened to all, you know, while he's hanging out in bars, he's lit- listened to all the idiots on bar stools with their pet theories on Dallas, the Cubans, the CIA, the white supremacists, the mob whether it was one weapon, whether it was five, and, like, that's all you except you weren't at Dallas because you weren't <laughs> alive yet. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You got, like, really into that, the, the you know, the research of into the assassination, and then your conclusion was, like...
1: Eh, it was nothing. It was just Oswald. It
0: was just Oswald.
1: You could have just read the Warren Report and called it a day.
0: Yeah. Can you trust the Warren Report, though, Kevin? Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Most people who criticize it never actually read it.
0: What do you, what do you, what I mean? This movie is really the, the JFK assassination is so central to it. And in a way, it feels like a, the, the disruptive incident that really wrecked a lot of Americans' trust in the, in the government to a certain extent. Why do you think the people can't accept that it was Oswald alone?
1: Uh, I think, uh, for one thing, the press has done a very poor job in presenting the conclusions of the Warren Report. I think there are people out there who realized that there was a buck to be made by inflaming people and confusing them. I think the early people who fanned the flames of conspiracy theory were a lot like a Fox News-type operation where they could make a, a fast buck and get some attention just by causing people to be upset. And they put out some false information that confused people and angered people the way Fox News does today.
0: What effect does that have on, um, on American society and, and people's trust in anything? Because, I mean, basically, you have a, a decent chunk of the population believing that the JFK assassination is basically an unsolved cold case.
1: If you believe that the there was a conspiracy behind the Kennedy assassination, you basically need to believe that uh, the government on a massive level committed the crime, helped cover it up. For their own purposes. And if you believe that. How can you have faith in the government. And if you don't have faith in the government. Why even bother caring or voting. Because whoever you vote for. May just end up being uh, shot and killed. By another element of the government. And it all being covered up. We could just be a banana republic. There you go. So I think it causes people to lose faith in the government.
0: They become disengaged.
1: Yes. What do you think Anya? Uh
0: Yeah. I think the government on its own. Has done a lot to erode trust in itself over time do you know what i mean right like a lot of the things that malkovich speaks to in this movie are about what bad stuff the cia has done abroad which is not a conspiracy theory that's just what happened
1: (laughs) you really dig this malkovich character you don't this malkovich guy makes a lot of sense as
0: father malkovich says (laughs)
1: He's on to something, Kevin.
0: You're worried. I'm. You're. Um. Yeah, as Father Malkovich says, are you worried I'm going to become a a Malkovich acolyte?
1: Going to become?
0: (laughs) Oh, touche. No, I'm just saying. Like, I agree with you. I think. I think. I think conservative right wing psychos fan the flames of this in order to get people to not believe that change was possible through government. Get people disengaged. Get people focused on bullshit. Basically. But I also think that the government, um, through things done domestically and um, abroad, has done a lot to erode people's faith in it. It's a situation where, you know, people should become engaged in order to rectify that situation. It's not going to be, that kind of thing is not going to be, if we want to if we want to stop doing horrific things um, on a domestic level and a prod, we're going to have to, people are going to have to take action here. And, and the answer is not going to be to say, well, I guess, you know, there's, you know the 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 men in suits are going to come in and do a conspiracy and cover everything up that's that's it's just not it's not a helpful instinct to buy all this conspiracy crap
1: are there any conspiracies you do believe in
0: hmm. uh i don't know none none really come to mind i think you and i both agree that we are both people who in some ways would love for a conspiracy to be real because then it would be like a puzzle to figure out and piece through, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think if if your instinct is to want to believe conspiracies, then you have to be even more critical of ones that you're presented with. Because if you have a tendency to want things to fit together and want to figure it out and wanted to be the smartest person in the room, you might just go you might just go nuts and and lose your brain. And the next thing you know, you're blowing up a. RV in Nashville because you think that the lizard people are poisoning people with 5G.
1: It, it, that'd be awful if something like that uh happened. You know, we're just sitting here having our Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm shocked that you'd even propose such a thing.
0: Now, Kevin greenlee <laughs> don't you be doing that? Today is December 31st, 2020. <laughs> god yeah just this the the educational system in this country is completely just broken that that people can't apply the basic level of critical thinking to to some of this stuff and i'm saying the people who can't who who buy hook line and sinker into these conspiracy theories right you know
1: and even some of these secret service agents in the picture don't seem to be doing a, a a great job there's a scene Uh, At this point in the movie where uh, a Secret Service agent, I believe, is played by uh, Josh Molina. Is that the guy's name? He's a young Secret Service agent. He's watching all the people coming in uh, to this big dinner. And he's looking at the pictures he has of John Malkovich and trying to see if he can identify him in the crowd. And John Malkovich walks right by him. He doesn't even notice him. And, of course, while this scene is happening, the band is playing the song, I Only Have Eyes for You.
0: So good. And I love how natural Malkovich looks in this scene. He's just schmoozing with the other rich guys, the other high rollers. And then, like, given how off-putting and awkward he could be around some of the other people he interacted with in this film, it was like cool to see him just kind of like, this assassin is in character. He's ready to do what he needs to do. And he's going to be friendly and casual this whole time until he uh, gets his work done.
1: And uh, So this time he's in there. He's in the ballroom. The president is on his way. Meanwhile, across town, Clint Eastwood has gotten the crucial detail. And he's figured it out, and he's racing back to the site. What's the crucial detail? Uh, It's related to that bank account.
0: Yeah, the bank account that came back that ended up being important. Um, So he
1: finds out who opened that bank account. He finds out a list of all the accounts that woman uh, helped open in the time before her death. He cross checks it to a guest list at this dinner. He sees a name on both lists. He, he looks and he sees where this person is seated. It's hot seating chart action. Uh, and then he sees he is seated right by where the president is. And he looks up and the president is a, a, a rapidly approaching this man, who indeed is John Malkovich, and he has a gun. So Clint Eastwood bursts through the crowd and he jumps in front of Malkovich just as Malkovich takes a shot at the president. And Clint Eastwood ends up getting shot himself. But he's wearing a bulletproof vest.
0: There you go. He's fine. But not really, because immediately uh, the Secret Service agents burst in and hustle the president away. Guests are running, screaming, tables are flipping, and uh, now Malkovich has a hostage, and it's Clint Eastwood. He takes his gun and uh, forces him away. Uh, Meanwhile, this is intercut with uh, the, the other guys, you know, the other Secret Service guys running the president out, knocking over innocent chefs in the process. Uh, but the president is now safe, but Clint Eastwood is in a pickle.
1: And I'm not sure how intentional this was, but uh, those scenes kind of reminded me of Bobby Kennedy being uh, taken through the uh, kitchen of the Ambassador Motel, where, of course, he was shot and killed by Sirhan Sirhan.
0: But this this hotel exit goes far better for this president.
1: Yes, he gets out. Uh, Don Malkovich and Clint Eastwood are in a glass elevator high up above everyone. And uh, after Malkovich knocks out all the lights, he starts monologuing to Eastwood. And meanwhile, down below, Renee Russo is tasked with the decision, should she have the sharpshooters take a shot at Malkovich, even though it's so dark, they can't clearly see who is Malkovich and who is Eastwood.
0: But fortunately... Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great it's a great 10th scene. And what's interesting to me about Malkovich's character is that he is like saying like nice view in the elevator and he doesn't honestly seem that mad that he lost, you know? He seems like he respects Clint Eastwood for basically beating him to the president. They're both players in this wild game called the US government.
1: <laughs> this game of life. This
0: game. US government twists and turns. And um and he, so he, but he wants to kill Eastwood all the same because he wants to go out with a friend. So he's going to do a murder-suicide. Um, unbeknownst to him, Clint still has a, a Secret Service earpiece in and is able to give subtle cues to the snipers on the roof, telling them to aim high. And Malkovich realizes that he's not talking to him when he says that, and he's about to shoot him, but snipers... Burst all the glass in the elevator, the outside elevator, and uh, he loses his opportunity to take a shot. So then he and Eastwood are wrestling, um, and Malkovich ends up going out the window, but he's hanging on by his fingers. And Eastwood, in a parallel to the earlier scene where Malkovich saved him on the roof, tries to save him. He tries to give him his hand. What happens next, Kevin?
1: Malkovich just releases his grip on the elevator and plunges to his death.
0: So now, uh, next scene, we see that uh, all the media attention that Eastwood has gotten for saving the president has prompted him to basically have to finally retire because he can't do undercover work because everyone knows his face. And, um, you know, it's kind of useless for him to be doing the uh, doing the old protect the president game either. He retires with grace and uh, walks away with. Uh, Rene Russo, and they go back to his apartment, and it's pretty clear that they're together now.
1: And when they get to his apartment, he hits play on his answering machine, and uh, there's a message there from John Malkovich. What does that message say?
0: Just well wishes. No, <laughs> he's he's giving him some old villain speech of like, you and I are pretty similar, and you know, either I'll be dead or the president will be dead, and but you'll have to go on living.
1: And, and you know, you're you're probably living a pretty sad life. I feel bad for you, Clint. And then uh, Clint takes Rene Russo, and they just walk out, leaving him talking.
0: It was a great, great scene. Love that. That's what you do with these crazies. You just, you know, if somebody's like a crazy serial killer, just stop giving them oxygen. Kevin just (laughs) threw down his earphones and, or his ear headphones and walked out. So (laughs) I guess that's what you think of me, Kevin. I'm not your Rene Russo. I'm your John Malkovich. I was just doing a bit. Is that is that what our relationship actually is? What? Am I your John Malkovich?
1: No, you're my Rene Russo.
0: Or are you my Rene Russo?
1: So, so you're Clint Eastwood?
0: I still think I'm John Malkovich.
1: So does In the Line of Fire hit the mark?
0: Or does oh, it miss the bullseye? It hits the mark. It's spot on. This is This is no counterfeit. Thriller. This is really, this is really on the money, <laughs> and uh, you know, I love the message that you know, Malkovich and Eastwood were pretty different because Eastwood is capable of changing, changing things up, embracing life, and uh, not being psychotic.
1: <laughs> I agree. In the line of fire, hit the target. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenly. who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com.
0: We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O.
1: Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening.
0: listening.